Hi, and welcome to Edelman Editions. In this episode, Ruth Warder, co-CEO of Edelman UK, sits down with Esther Adejami Azukwe, the Programme Director of 10,000 Black Interns. The two met to discuss where 10,000 Black Interns was born from, its growth, barriers to entry within business, as well as what more the PR industry could be doing to attract young Black talent. Over to you, Ruth. Hello, everybody. I'm really excited to be joined today by Esther Udujemi Izukwe, the Programme Director of the 10,000 Black Interns, an amazing organisation that launched in 2020 with the aim to offer 2,000 internships per year for five years. It has been a huge success, and since its launch, over 700 organisations have signed up to offer internships, far exceeding the original ambition. This summer, we were lucky enough to be a partner with the 10,000 Black Interns Network, and offer internships here at Edelman. We thought it would be interesting to catch up with Esther to talk in a bit more detail about the programme and explore some of the themes of inclusion and access that are critical for this initiative, our business and the wider industry. Esther, welcome. Lovely to have you here. It would be great to start with you telling us a little bit about the programme and and how it all started. Um, Firstly, thanks so much for having me, Ruth. It's such a pleasure to be having this conversation with you and, of course, even more of a pleasure to have Edelman involved in the programme. So yeah, going into a bit of detail. So we started off as 100 Black interns just over a year ago. So you alluded to that in your intro. It was, you know, everything has far exceeded everybody's expectation and the original ambition. And it started because one of our co-founders wanted to host a dinner for Black investment managers. He himself works in investment management and has done so for many years. And um, he quickly realized that there just weren't very many black investment managers in the first place. And it coincided with the murder of George Floyd. So everybody felt like the time was right to do something really tangible about this longstanding issue. And this is how the concept of initially 100 black interns came about. And it was very simple to get 100 investment management firms to sign up to this program. And what they were signing up to was to offer one internship to a black student who is studying at any UK university across any year group of higher educational studies. So we're talking first years, fifth years on an undergrad, master's student, postgrad, or a candidate who has graduated from any of those aforementioned things since 2018. And then we also have a cheeky little bit at the beginning as well. So as long as you're 18 plus and you finished your A-levels and you have the intention to study at university in the future, you're also eligible to apply to the program. So that was the criteria for candidates. And from a firm perspective, they had to be able to offer an internship that was a minimum of six weeks. So um, something tangible that the candidates could use in their future career and also paying a minimum of the local living wage. So no neo-slavery or free labor under this program <laughs> either. So, um, yeah, that, that was the initial ambition. And, you know, the co-founders started approaching their peers in industry and very quickly realized that they were knocking on an open door. Um, ended up with 200 investment management firms signed up, 40 to 50 on a waiting list. We opened applications to candidates, ended up getting two and a half thousand applications from black students across the UK. 42% of those that applied to the programme were black women, and that translated into 45% of the offer rate. And we were really proud of those stats, including 59% of the applications coming from non-Russell Group candidates. Because one thing we know about investment management as an industry is that it's very elite traditionally in its hiring practices, very white and very male. So there are a number of early indicators of success in the program that then led to additional conversations being had, um, Edwin being one of those conversations and us growing from 100 black interns into 10,000 black interns. And as you said in your intro, the 10,000 number is aggregated over the course of five years. So we have a target of 2,000 internships a year 
now with more than 700 firms across the UK represented, um, including 24 different sectors now, so no longer just investment management. And, it, and it's really interesting, isn't it? Because in a sense, you started at the place where, in, in, in a sense, the most difficult place, right? Where, where mm. you know, um, sort of the highest challenge. Just, just tell us a little bit about how other sectors kind of gripped on, gripped onto the programme and wanted to get involved. And we certainly, from our perspective, we saw, I think we saw some PR on it actually, and, and I'm mm. really interested to see how we can get involved. So, so, so mm. it'd, be, it'd be really interesting to hear. You know, from those kind of you know difficult to penetrate financial sectors, what other sectors then yeah. came on board, and and, and how you've yeah. seen it grow? Yeah, I mean, it was an absolute ripple effect, and you're very correct to say that investment management was a difficult place to start. And I feel as though starting in such a difficult place, as in an industry that is very prolific for being extremely elite, extremely white, extremely male, extremely non-inclusive meant that the messaging for other sectors and other firms was all the more stronger yeah. because it was almost as if, if this industry can do something this powerful this quickly, what on earth do we have to say for ourselves as an excuse? So yeah, it really became a ripple effect and we had conversations all over the place and very, very quickly kind of came up with the 24 sectors that were involved in the programme and just started approaching approaching the the different firms um many of those conversations were extremely easy it was it wasn't a matter of having to persuade people and i think again the kind of socio and geopolitical space at the time played a massive role in that of course as i mentioned earlier a lot of this was off of the back of the murder of george floyd and that event that extremely unfortunate event um gave rise to many conversations i think people had been having really passively and almost tokenistically in the past and forced people to actually take action. You know, we've spoken enough. There have been enough race reports and employment reports. We know that this issue exists. I don't need anybody to tell me stats anymore. I just want to do something about it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was not as difficult as perhaps it may sound when people hear there are 700 vol- firms involved. A lot right. of those conversations were very smooth and very easy. And so when you talk about that, when you talk about that willingness, um, particularly in those sort of hard to penetrate sectors, what it sort of brings us naturally onto a conversation about barriers, right? So it, so, mm. so if the willingness is there in, in the context of 10,000 black interns, you know, talk to us a little bit about the barriers both on the side of the potential candidates for the internships or for those for, for wanting careers in those sectors and also yeah. for the barriers that exist within within those sectors and the firms and the work the workplace um obviously two, yeah. two wide and different topics but but i think barriers yeah. is a really core a core thing to talk about within this conversation absolutely and it's a great place to to start to be fair because one thing that we must always acknowledge in conversations like this is that human beings are human beings and will forever be human beings and that means that we all have our shortcomings and they are not going to go away anytime soon and what the reason i'm starting off there is because I mean, we've all heard the term unconscious bias and naturally as a human being, you look for yourself in other people when it comes to hiring, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to affiliations, you're looking for yourself, maybe it's too strong a term, but you're looking for shared experiences, shared things, um, just commonality uh, in general. So if again, going back to investment management as an example, or even the bar as an example, very few black barristers. If we're looking at people who are involved in the hiring processes, those that are giving out opportunities, 
going back to the point of people looking for commonality between themselves and other people who they perceive to be a good or positive candidate, if everybody already existing in that space looks the same, that's going to be perpetuated in the hiring practices because we are human. And you're going to see a particular name. You probably can't pronounce it that well. And automatically in your mind, you're going to think, OK, let me try and look for a candidate whose name I can pronounce. And we, you know, in our minds, we have all sorts of associations with with those kinds of things, with with comfort. And it is a very uncomfortable conversation for many people to have. So if we're talking about from starting within the workplace, um, you know, we really have to start with the acknowledgement that we are imperfect people. And that means that our hiring practices will be imperfect if left to our own devices. Um, and then flipping to the other side from the candidate perspective, again, like if I if I refer to many of the conversations I've had with some of our candidates under the 2021 programme, one of them in particular, who's done really well under the programme and has now actually started a full-time position off of the back of her internship, she was telling me um, that when she had put in applications to a number of firms just directly through their website, we're talking hundreds because this is what you do when you're in university. You get into application mode and you just shoot out and you fire your applications to a number of firms. She got absolutely zero traction, just rejection email after rejection email after rejection email, not even an interview. Now, fast forward to her application to the 100 Black Interns program at the time. Of course, we're now 10,000 Black Interns. She got three interviews under our process. And as I said, has now become one of our great success stories. Successfully interned, took, uh, got offered a place and is now, you know, thriving in the, in the world of work. So, you know, there, there, are, there are questions to be asked about what is going on at firms whereby a candidate such as the one I'm referencing, very strong candidate, very competent, very intelligent, very qualified for an internship. Every university student is qualified for an internship because the whole point of internships is that you do not require experience and the internship itself is supposed to be the experience. Why, why are they struggling so much in comparison to their white counterparts? Um, and yeah, that, you know, as soon as, we, as soon as people are ready and willing to face that conversation honestly, and say, actually, yeah, our hiring process is imperfect. Actually, yes, if I look at the, my track record of those that I have hired into certain positions, they all look the same, or perhaps they all studied at the same institution or similar institutions. Um, and yeah, we need, to, we need to start there and be very open and honest about it. And again, a program like 10,000 Black Interns is here to actually assist firms in, in changing the dial. We have a candidate pool full of black candidates because, again, I remember having conversations with a number of HR professionals um, from a number of participating firms. A lot of them would say things like black students don't apply. Black students aren't interested. I struggle to, to find good, um, good applications from candidates. There are just so many things to unpick from that good application. What is a good application when you're looking at? a pool of people who literally have no experience. All they have is their educational history. What's good and what's bad? Let's start there. And then also, um, black students don't apply and they're not interested. Well, why did we get two and a half thousand applications to a program that was focused on one industry? The black candidates that apply aren't qualified. Okay, so we intended to place 100 interns into industry and ended up with 502. Why is that? Because all of the firms came back to us to say the candidate pool was so strong that they opened up more headcount and wanted to see more applications. So all of those myths have been completely debunked and there's just no excuse anymore, quite frankly. And, and, and have you found, it's interesting, have you found challenging some of those perceptions and myths and proving, you know, those firms and those processes wrong has actually now triggered a bit of a 
larger change behaviour around candidate selection and recruitment more generally in those firms? I believe so. And this kind of thing is going to be a slow burning candle. So I'm definitely seeing evidence of, of these changes. And not every firm and every industry is going to catch the flame straight away. Because what you'll find is that there are two ways that a firm can engage in a program like this. They can be super revolutionary and say, you know, we're going to jump at this full force. We're going to completely change the way we look for candidates and we're going to seize this opportunity. And then you'll have other firms who get involved and they're just doing everything that they used to do just under the alias of 10,000 black interns. And when I say everything they used to do, I'm talking about still assessing in the same way, putting candidates through the same kinds of processes that in, in the past actually may have been a barrier, an unnecessary barrier, should I say, to their success. Because I can understand it a little bit from a firm perspective. You may get thousands of applicants per place and you need to whittle the numbers down in some way. And a number of them do things like, you know, putting them through an unnecessary psychometric test, the results of which are absolutely nothing to do with the actual competencies of the role. Uh, and, you know, whittling candidates down in ways like that. And, um, you know, there, there will be firms who engage with the programme and still go through those kinds of, um, of processes. But one thing that we're trying to make very clear in our conversations with firms that, that are adopting that kind of approach is that you need to consider why in the past you've been unsuccessful in getting black candidates through the door. And things like this, for example, a psychometric test that a black candidate may not do as well in as their white counterpart may in most cases be absolutely nothing to do with intellect and everything to do with access. Because I remember going to university, I went to a state comprehensive school, worked super hard, had Nigerian parents who, you know, education was everything to them and ended up studying at Oxford. And I remember within the first few weeks, a number of my white counterparts talking about, you know, my parents have paid X amount for this, for this person to take me through the McKinsey psychometric test. At the time, I didn't know what McKinsey and company was. Let's start there. And secondly, when I did a little bit of research, I found, okay, they have this test and great, they've used it for however long and, it's, and it works for them. That's great. But, you know, even in the context of those conversations that are being had, it's very clear that people who are in particular spaces, who know particular people, have early access to, to resource that enables them to overstep those early barriers that people who come from backgrounds like mine may not have that access to. So is it anything to do with intellect? No, because X person who is my white counterpart at university of, at the University of Oxford, his or her parents spent hundreds of thousands of pounds on his or her education. My parents spent zero pounds and zero pence on my education. We've ended up in the same place. So this is nothing to do with intellect and everything to do with access. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, it's, it, it's really good to hear that the... I guess the the wider and more halo effect of a program like this is to is to kind of trigger the right questions, right? And to and mm. and, and one of the things we we've, we've talked about before is how these sort of established processes, which are there perhaps to drive efficiency or whatever they're there for, um, kind of mm. were, were set up for a different time, you know, with with, with perhaps yeah. a different goal. And and and, and, yeah. and and how important it is that as as firms and firms like ours, you know, are are questioning access and inclusion, you really think about not just what you might need to change on an intern programme, but what you might need to look at writ large. So it's really good to see yeah. that that's having, that's having um, a more broad effect. Um, you, you mentioned mm. um, when you were talking about the talented candidate who'd, who, you know, who hadn't had any success through applications, actually, 
lots of perceptions around types of CVs, types of experience, types of roles, and combating mm. that with data and facts, right? Well, if that's not, mm. you know, if, if, if these jobs are not interesting, why are we getting thousands of applicants for them? Mm. I, I'd love to get your point of view on, on, on the role of data um, mm. in, inclu- in, in access and inclusion. And, and then let's talk about where we think industries are doing a good job, because it's quite a hot topic, I, I, think, I think, for our industry and trying to understand you know whether to set st- what what data we use and, and and how is the best way to use data um mm. to, to 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 advance what we'd like to do so so i'd love to hear from you on 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 on, on how important you think data is how it can be used and then and then which industries are doing a good job on that well are we talking in the context of recruitment here uh, using yeah, data recruit, and recruitment, recruitment retention, understanding mm. who your workforce is, understanding the mm. t- you know, who's actually in your business. Yeah, yeah. Big one. Absolutely massive one. So data plays a huge role in this. And also the incorrect extrapolation of data also plays a huge role in this. Because if we're talking about the traditional starting point for these kinds of conversations about, you know, um, diversity, inclusion, X, Y and Z, let's start with terminology. And I'm not the language police. Let's start there. People can use whatever term they want to use, but it needs to make sense. That's where I come from. So we're talking about the term BAME, Black and Minority Ethnic Group. Essentially anyone who is not white. Extremely unhelpful from my perspective, because you will have a number of firms who release their, you know, their racial diversity data, and they say we have X percent of our workforce coming from BAME communities, which is X percent up from last year, we're doing really well, we're moving in the right direction, blah, blah, blah. The usual spiel that you hear from from corporations. However, when you now split those words up, black and minority ethnic group, let's remove the black out of that. And more often than not, the number reduces to zero. Let's look at the current state of play in FTSE 100 companies, zero black CEOs, zero black CFOs, very few black directors, very few. The pipeline is almost non-existent to the point where there's nobody even to promote to those positions because retention is so poor. So, you know, data plays a massive role in it and people need to use the correct data points at the very beginning of this conversation in order for the dial to move in the first place. Because if you're too busy focused on everybody who isn't white and using that as a measure of success, then you've already started in the wrong place because there are so many differences even within the black community, let alone clouding us with other ethnic minorities. The stats are very different for black Africans and black Caribbeans. The stats are very different for black Caribbean women and black Caribbean boys. So we need to be as specific as we can when it comes to trying to tackle um, these issues. I mean, we all learned it all in our GCSEs, smart goals, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time bound. You need to start with specific. Um, And, you know, these conversations are never going to be honest and open enough if we're not using the data correctly and understanding that actually the starting point is treating these communities as individual communities and understanding even within that individuality, there are nuances um so yeah data is hugely important and in terms of the the latter part of your question like which industries are doing this well it's it's difficult to to answer that in a straightforward way if that makes sense um using the program again as a as a metric of measuring this i mean what 24 sectors involved from technology to the bar to investment banking and it's evidence to suggest that all of these industries are ready and willing to address this specific issue of black underrepresentation 
Historically, has that been the case? Not from my personal experience in, in my career, and I'm sure many other people, including non-Black people, will, will say the same if they're speaking honestly. So let's keep our eye on this one. I mean, it's a five-year program. So, and, and the point of this is that it has a residual effect and pays dividends in the future. But yes, you're, you're right to point out as well about the, the issue of retention, because it's one thing to get Black people within the door or any kind of diverse candidate within the door. And it's a completely different thing to keep them there. And the biggest thing with regards to keeping someone there is making them feel valued, making them feel like their career is being supported because firm culture is so massively neglected in some industries that um, they often don't recognize that their culture is not conducive to the success of anybody who, does, who isn't white or who hasn't come from a particular background or studied at a particular educational institution. So these things really do need to be paid close attention to. And again, as part of the program, we are planning to have these retention and culture sessions with participating firms because we don't want to be this wheel that just pushes black people into environments that they're going to suffer in. Right. <laughs> we want to make sure that they can thrive. We want to make sure that when they get there, they will have good sponsorship, good mentorship and support both in and out of the work environment. So it's definitely a big thing for us. And I think I'm so pleased to hear about you sort of extending the reach, so to speak, because I think that um, companies and certainly from our own experience would 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 really benefit mm. for the support and insight and partnership that you could give us, um, give us, because it, exactly it's not just about bringing the candidates in. It's also about retaining them, but also being able to nurture their journey and their career in the right way. And and and, and, and yeah. understanding what that what that looks like, and and, and it was really interesting. Yeah, when we did our program this year, and I and, and I did a, a a sort of welcome meeting chat with the interns, and 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 I was really I was Love really that. curious to understand, having sort of fallen into PR myself with with not not really much of a clue <laughs> what PR was until I walked in the door of the first agency I worked at. You know, what was PR or communications or media a sort of pathway that any of the interns had considered? Because our um, talent team who were looking after the programme and working with the interns on, on the sort of selection process, etc., had, had, had said they'd really struggled um, to get anyone interested in communications. And there was only one intern who said they ha- had had some experience in the area and they mm. and they had partially considered PR and communications as an area for them out of 10 interns. Mm. So, so what really struck mm. me about that was a kind of awareness of the industry as professionally rich writ large and, and I'm just quite mm. keen to get your view on you know what more could we be doing as an industry to to, to attract more diverse talent more racially diverse talent and and yeah. and you know, do you think there's industries that do a better job than others? Because certainly when that question was, mm. when, when I asked the question to the to the group, I, then I had to question myself and think, well, what do we do? Well, you know, how hard do we work? Mm. And, and the honest answer is mm. not enough and not very. And so so, so that mm. was very worthwhile to just reflect on that. But I was, I was just, um, I was interested to understand from you, you know, what more we, what more, could we be doing because I think out of 10 interns and some um four have been retained by the business um six 
yeah, great six, result. six were returning in to finish their for educational journey, but four had retained. So obviously it is enjoyable and it is an environment which mm. they do want to work on and work in in a career which they yeah. do want to consider, but until that point had not. So I'd be interested to get you get your, your view mm. on what, what more we could be doing and what you think the barriers to, to access or um, understanding yeah. are there. Yeah, I think I'll address it from a number of angles. So the first thing that comes to mind is visibility when it comes to someone wanting to be in a particular sector or role or job in the first place. You have to know it exists. And it, again, it brings me back to um, when I first started uni and just hearing all these. I didn't know what Goldman Sachs was. I didn't really know what investment banking was. I didn't know what McKinsey was. I didn't know what Edelman was. Um, and it took for these conversations to to be had for me to be exposed to this whole world that I had no idea about. And again, if we look at cultural nuances, coming from a black African home, you choose from lawyer, banker, doctor, pilot, engineer or failure. Those are your six options in life. You choose from that. And then, you know, Bob's your uncle moving forward. Um, so, yeah, that that's what I knew from the background that I had come from. Um, and it took for, I mean, even when it came to the degree that I chose, that this can be extrapolated to so many different things in life in general. I remember get, getting onto campus and listening to other people. Oh, I study human sciences. I, st- I was like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea that these were even options in life. So if things are not visible, then and also if people don't see people that look like themselves in in that particular environment as well that's another form of visibility then often that can be the initial barrier Um, it's the knowledge and also knowing or seeing people like yourself in those spaces so you know again going being having a solution orientated conversation a way to combat that could be you know going on campus letting people know that look we exist we are a thing did you know that chukaramuna worked for us once upon a time like even things like that are very leverageable in conversations that you're having with people and again it's not to say that edelman is doing a bad job at all because you know clearly things have gone really really well with um with this internship program so huge congratulations on that front um but yeah visibility is definitely um a huge a huge one from my perspective so Correct me if I'm wrong, but having conversations with a number of people in my generation, the generations below, everyone seems to be interested in tech. They all want the tech career. And the first thing to ask ourselves is why? What is it that the technology sector is doing that means that it looks like this glamorous, super enjoyable career for literally anyone that touches it with a barge pole? And the answer to that is there seems to be a crazy work-life balance, a crazily good work-life balance in in terms of what technology companies put out there they seem to really care for their employees in terms of what empl- uh, employers put out there and what does care look like i guess would be the follow-up question and what the perception seems to be from outside of the tech world is that if i need a nap whilst i'm working at x firm they have a sleep pod and i can take 20 minutes and take a nap and rejuvenate myself and come back if i need food i can go up to the canteen and get free food now of course not every company can afford these kinds of things so you need to you know have a very an educated discussion about these things and take it from you know what the starting point of the individual organization is but what seems to really be attracting millennials and generation z in particular is um, a positive work-life balance, positive experience when you're in the firm, a firm that cares, that will you know, bend its back for you, in fact, break its back for you to make sure that you're okay, both from a 
well-being perspective and from a career perspective and you know that's something that's often quite missing and there's also a generational point here again going back to the gen z and millennial mentality it's very different to those generations that came before us there are a number of examples in my parents generation and above of people who spent their entire career at one firm that is literally my definition of a nightmare I could never do something like that. And not to say that I'm representative of absolutely everybody who is a millennial or Gen Z, but it's very, very common. So there's another angle in recruitment that people need to also understand that the starting point, the people you are trying to recruit and attract is actually one of, I do not desire to be here longer than three to five years. So they're actually looking for a place where they can soak up, where they can learn, where they can leave better than they came. So from a firm perspective, what needs to be put out there and not just put out there, it needs to actually be the case once they actually get into the firm. Because another thing about the generations that we're attracting is that they will leave within seconds of realizing that they're unhappy. So, you know, it needs to be true. The PR needs to actually uh, materialize into reality. But um, it just needs to be clear that you know, I'm going to come here and I, I can soak up from resource. I'm going to be about around people that I can learn from, that can learn from me. There's going to be a reciprocal learning process here. And, and those are the things that I really think can make a difference in terms of the level of interest that firms are seeing at the junior recruitment level. What has been, what has been Edelman's experience with, with this in the past? So I think our sort of recruitment practice is probably a, a more complex topic because I think that we are, mm. we, we at any point in time have, a, have quite a number of open roles. And so, so mm. my view on this would be, it's how do we get way more upstream, which was the kind of next question that I wanted to come on to because um, you spoke mm. in this last question about learning and, and soaking up and the desire mm. to learn. And when we talked before, we talked about the role of education mm in access and how and how early does that does that process start and one of the things we've been yeah. looking at here and, and and considering is how we work with schools and colleges and actually not higher education but you know students from 16 plus to to support and yeah. think about you know careers in communications at Edelman how could how could we play more of a leadership role there and and so be yeah. and, and, and and start so that you're almost as individuals affirming up their idea about where next or what's potential or what they could be or, you know, what's potentially on the horizon, you know, we could be we mm. could be part of that consideration and part of that conversation and part of that support because mm. one of the brilliant things about PR is actually it you don't it doesn't require you to have a higher education degree to enter into. There is lots and lots of on the job learning and it should attract lots of different types of people and cognitive diversity and people from different backgrounds because there's multiple jobs in, in this profession you know it's, yeah. it's not a particularly linear profession and and so one of the things we'd be considering is how do we work harder to 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 reach earlier when people are not necessarily and, and actually help grow the pool of candidates not just for ourselves but potentially for others even considering the industry mm. because your earlier mm. question about recruitment you know, you're, the, the pool is often not wide enough, just even from the industry today. Yeah. And so I would love to yeah. get your view, um, you know, and as you are working from with thousands of candidates who are in education, you know, 
what you know, what role can firms play in reaching further into into not just higher education but schools and colleges and other establishments to to appeal yeah. to forge connections you know talk to build relationships with um you know the the, the the talent of the future who might come through less yeah. tra- less traditional routes into the into this sector yeah for sure so even going back to the visibility point put yourself and your employees out there would be my advice to firms seeking an answer to this question like literally go on ground and speak to those who in a few years may become part of your talent pipeline and let them know that you exist it's it's just such an easy way to to increase a pipeline from early on um and just let people know that one your firm is a thing two what your firm actually does three what a career within that firm or within that industry may look like and also there's another point and and it's a very very relevant point and something that even as a as an organization here at 10,000 black interns that we may consider in the future is expanding the criteria the recruitment criteria from the firm perspective in terms of allowing those who for example don't have a degree uh, to actually have a chance and a seat at the table because there's a certain level, there's a certain, what's the word I'm looking for? Edu- the educational system in the UK is very linear. It teaches you to do things in a particular way. Uh, my perception of it, I mean, I went through it and I'm reaping positive results. So it's not me kind of discouraging anyone from going down that route. Do what's best for you. But I feel as though in its entirety, really it's a memory game. It's about who can remember the most information at the right time, and fine, whatever. We're not going to re- we're not going to rejuvenize the um, rejuvenate sorry the educational system anytime soon. I mean that's a conversation for Boris and his friends, but it's a matter of understanding that actually someone who comes from outside of that experience is going to bring something unique to the table because life experience to me is just as valuable as, uh, if not more valuable, to be fair, than you know book smartness and classic intellect in the way that we think about it in in this country and in society so it's definitely a a massive conversation that needs to be had about does somebody actually need a degree to do the role that you are hiring for does somebody need these specific a levels or this number of ucas points in order to do this job are these things actually required the skills that are required to pass your psychometric test, are they actually necessary in terms of the day-to-day skills required for somebody to be really competent and excel in this role? Oftentimes, the answer is a resounding no. And um, even as a program, of course, our criteria at the moment specifies those who, are either ha- who either have the intention to or have already or are currently studying um, in higher education. But, you know, it's a five year program. There'll be plenty of opportunities for expansion off of the back of this. We, we want to make sure that we, we are doing what we have said we're going to do correctly and, you know, build that solid foundation. And of course, look at ways to expand and that and, and expanding outside of degree requirements is a very encouraging thing in my mind for us to do. So let's see. Let's see where I, we are. I agree. And I also think it's incumbent upon the industries that are more flexible about um, level of education to really think on how they're making a virtue of that versus going versus yeah. going down the sort of prescribed or accepted routes. Um, and certainly there's, yeah. there is there is an awful lot more that, um, that that we could be doing. It's one of the interesting things. When I first started in PR, the the industry's professionalized immensely since since um, you know hundreds mm. of years ago, wherever it was when I 
first begun, which has obviously <laughs> got, you know, a, 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 amazing benefits and positives. But at the same time, I, I, yeah. I do think that the that one of the things one of the things that has been lost is that um perception that you can come into this industry from all different walks of life and it, it and you don't necessarily yeah. need to be degree educated or you know have any or specifically yeah. have a degree in english or journalism or media and and, yeah, and that actually exactly. life experience particularly for for the work that we do and the multiple clients that we represent you know is 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 appealing to many many audiences and not and not just the educated mm. audience so i think that would be you know mm. i i think we have to sort of remind ourselves of that if that if that is an industry truth and if that isn't an industry truth like mm. in law that's fine and that's and that's okay but if it is then we should be looked to be a bit more innovative and i think and i think that's something that we should be Absolutely. pushing ourselves to do um one of the things yeah. I did want to to talk about is um is is sort of hard metrics. We've talked a bit about data, but I wanted to get your view on um, hard metrics like um, ethnicity pay gap reporting, and 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 obviously mm-hmm. the gathering the data on that is fairly challenging. But I, I'd just be interested to hear from you. You know, is that something that you'd be supportive of? Do you think that will help drive change? What's your view more broadly on that topic? Yeah, I think broadly, my view is that it, it's a, there's there's never a bad thing. To me, there's no negative in collecting data and having data to back decisions. Data-driven decisions are the strongest decisions, in, in my view, in many cases. And, I mean, we can predict where this is going to go, right? Doing an ethnicity pay gap uh, report. We know exactly what that report is going to say, and we know exactly why it's going to say what it's going to say. So, you know, whilst I'm coming from a perspective of, we know problems exist, let's just do stuff about it. There are going to be people, firms, organizations, societies, governments that need to see that data hard proof on paper in front of them for them to actually realize how vast of a problem it is and consequently do something tangible um, about it. But yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at any recent data on the ethnicity pay gap, but um, yeah, I mean, you and I can take a wild guess on what that looks like, right? Definitely. so although I do think it's encouraging, you know, I, I do think the, the just speaking from the perspective of the gender pay gap reporting, it is it, it is in itself, it's not the answer, but it's a mechanic that starts to drive the right conversations because it's a moment exactly. in time and it's a requirement that just didn't exist before. So exactly. at the very least, it's a forcing function for change. And and, and, yeah. and because it's got associated govern, governance, it means that businesses want to be able to, 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 to show progress. That in itself becomes yeah. an ignition for change. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, it, uh, at worst, it, it, it helps advance conversations and movements. And at best, it mm. is, you know, it, it, it improves significantly over time. Although with gender, I think the picture is probably sure. slower than I'd like. Anyway, different topic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but so so, look, I so wanted to just ask a couple of questions to you 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 personally. Um, so so when you look back in sort of five ten years time. Yeah. I'd love to know what your kind of what your sort of dream state is. What do you you know what 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 do you look back? And you've, you've obviously already achieved so much, and you know it's it is such a positive program and so well run and 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 such a oh, high caliber you. of candidates. And we've 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 been so lucky to partner with you. When you look back in five years or ten years, what you know what do you want to see change? And what does and what does that look like? 
Yeah. So looking back in five to 10 years, what I want to see is more people that look like me and my brothers and my dad and, you know, in in industry and not only in industry, thriving in industry and being decision makers. To me, that is the key here, because people who are the decision makers are, of course, the ones who are um, enacting whatever change is happening. If we look at the cabinet, for example, zero black people in the cabinet. These are people governing my life. <laughs> they have nothing they have no knowledge about uh, you know my existence they have no knowledge about the nuances of navigating the UK as a black person or a black woman and yet they are the ones uh, you know making the decisions concerning my day-to-day -day living so yeah looking back in 10 years what I want to see is more people that look like me and members of my family driving decisions in this country and in wider industry. And there have been so many reports, going back to the importance of data, actually. There have been so many reports that have proven that diversity within teams leads to better decision-making. There was a report, I think it's by one of the universities in the US, I cannot remember now, but uh, I think it may have been Yale, did a study a couple of years ago and found that actually the more diverse a board is, the less examples of money laundering and corruption you find within within US companies, as an example. So yeah, diversity leads to better decisions and better outcomes. And if you are the kind of person who couldn't care less, quote unquote, colorblind, I hate the term. Uh, there are many people that walk around claiming to be colorblind. If, even if that's the kind of person that you proclaim to be in your strange existence, at the very least, you should care about how well your company does. And there's a correlation between that diversity and how well your company will end up doing in the long run. So if you don't care about color, care about your business. And caring about your business means that you have to care about color. <laughs> and, and and I also love the I, I love the ambition, but I also love the scale. And I love mm. I love the scale of change that you've been been able to affect because because it does feel because you've got multiple sectors and hundreds of companies involved it feels mm. like this will it will help ignite a change because of the scale mm. of the operation um it what 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 would be lovely is to see other other organizations springing up with mm. similar ambitions and and and, mm. and and to create a bit more of an ecosystem around that um have you have you heard of any you know other organizations or people that you've inspired or you know of uh, you know stuff that sprung up do you know what my inbox is absolutely lit <laughs> up with people you know wanting to wreck ten thousand insert something here interns <laughs> and you know i'm here for it i'm absolutely here for it um do it do it i'm happy to give people the playbook of our organization because you can never, one, you can never attack the same issue from too many angles, the more yeah. the better from my perspective. So there's plenty of room. It's not a competition. We're all trying to do the same thing. So there's plenty of room. And two, there are a number of issues. I remember, um, you know, in the earlier days, having some conversations with some firms, some of them would come back to us and say, oh, uh, management in our company is reluctant because what about the white working class, for example? My response to that is, what about the white working class? I understand that that's a problem, but that takes nothing away from the fact that this too is a problem. It's okay to face one issue at a time. You mm -hmm. can face the white working class issue as well. I would very much welcome 10,000 white working class interns. I would, I would very much welcome that. Somebody please come have a conversation with me. I'll give you the playbook, address that issue as well. 
but there's a very good analogy that I can't remember where I came across it. But, you know, if one house is on fire on the street and another house has had their door kicked in, someone coming to that house that's on fire with a, with a hose to put the fire out is doing the right thing. You can't come to them and say, well, what about my house? My door's been kicked in. They are putting that fire out. So that that's fine. It's okay for those two problems to exist and for those two problems to be dealt with separately. They're not in competition with each other. So yeah, my inbox is absolutely full with people wanting to, you know, having the, the passion for different things, the passion for what we're doing also, and the intention to erect other organizations. And my overarching message is I am absolutely here for it and encourage people to do it. <laughs> Well, that's amazing to hear, and I'm sure people will be so inspired by that. And I have to say um, that the the rigor and professionalism with with the way that you've set up the program and the way that you run the program, um, I also think is a really powerful playbook because it's mm. it's so much beyond an idea with the infrastructure and the and the support and mm. and 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 as I said, the ecosystem around it, which of course for any of for 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 anything to kind of lock into professional services that's a really important component part so I yeah. have to congratulate you not only on the success but also of the smooth running and 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 and, and the really thoughtful process that that you've put behind it um oh, so thank, thank you so much <laughs> credit to our founding team as well I mean our co-founders have been amazing it was it was their idea they had they had the vision and and here we are you know here yeah. we are and it's great to hear people saying that you know from the outside looking in it looks smooth running that's always reassuring because we're all <laughs> running around like headless chickens on the inside i'll tell you that for free <laughs> that's always usually usually the case um but listen thank you so much for joining us um i, I really hope we can talk again because there's, there's there's so much to explore in this topic and i'm hoping that sure. this will be a fruitful and long-term partnership um with 10,000 yeah. black interns and Edelman and, and I really look forward to us to us kind of doing some great stuff and, and, and growing the program together and thanks a lot for joining me.